Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Revolution Recap. The Revolution dropped another three points from a winning position on Saturday night in New York uh, with a 2-1 to loss to the Red Bulls. Tommy McNamara struck first with a second-half goal, giving the Revolution a lead, and things were looking very, very hopeful, but the Red Bulls struck back with two goals, uh, including the game winner on a Lewis Morgan penalty kick from a... Very bad foul from Tommy McNamara. So I'm Greg Johnstone. We're here to talk about it. We're here to talk about another depressing game. I'm not in a good mood. And here joining me today, also not in a good mood, Sean Donahue. Sean, how are you tonight? I, th- I thought at halftime we are going to be talking about an extraordinarily boring game and, and struggling that way. But instead, instead, we're talking about a very disappointing collapse from the revolution that could have potentially gotten away with stealing three points on this one, but instead ended up dropping all three a really really bad showing from the revs it has i i've i'm going to be at a loss of words many times throughout this podcast there have been very few times we've done this podcast in five years where we haven't had as much structure because i just don't know what to say anymore with this team and you know with the new york city fc win they made the best of a really bad week and it seemed like things were going in their direction the first half very very you know, slow, boring. I think both teams had 0.11 expected goals in the first half. Um, really not a ton for either team. And I think that's the way the Revs wanted it. Then they got a not necessarily lucky goal, but they struck on a kind of low percentage play and things were looking great. And they still found a way to piss it away. So um, just another bad, bad result for the Revolution. And We'll talk about the standings later, but things are looking very bad for the revolution at the stage. So, Sean, um, enough about my rambling. Uh, what was your key takeaway from tonight's game? Yeah, I mean, Bruce Arena said before the, the three-game homestand last week that they needed to get seven points, uh, and they got four. And this is why they needed to get seven points, because things happen. You know, <laughs> like you, you when you're on the road in New York and Carly's heel um, is having his first child and isn't available— uh, you know, it becomes very difficult to win that game and the Rebs have no margin for error. So I, I, my key takeaway is very similar to what my key takeaway was. I think last time I was on the podcast and that, you know, everything has just come together too late for the revolution this year. Um, so many injuries they've had, we've talked about. And, you know, I, I said it a couple of weeks ago and it's you know proven true today that there was not enough time in the season for everybody that Bruce brought in, you know, that came in injured to get healthy and figure it all out because they keep having to switch up formations. Carly has heels out. They have no idea what their best formation is right now. Gustavo Bo still has not found his match sharpness. Giacomo Veroni is finally back and played 10 minutes. So, you know, he he's not anywhere near 90 minutes fit yet. Um, we still haven't seen Dylan Barrero. Ismael Tajori Shirardi, we have no idea whether he's going to be back at any point this season. Um, it's it's just been a disaster for the Revolution injury-wise, and everything at this point is way too late um, for them to put it together and make a run. I think Matt Doyle had an article, I think, last week about the Revolution potentially being you know kind of a, a dark horse, dangerous team. Um, I just don't think that's realistic. I think we've seen from Bruce Arena in the past and, and you know obviously after this game the revs making the playoffs is, is a i think a stretch um and then doing anything there at all i think is not going to happen uh and in part because it takes bruce arena so long to kind of figure things out with this team we saw it last year even when they you know broke the, the, the points record it took bruce about half the season to figure out what their best formation is you know now he's got four games uh to figure it out with, with guys still out um, it's just been a complete disaster for the revolution. And that, uh, to me, this, the season's over. Um, they're not going to make the playoffs. And if they do make the playoffs, it's going to be a very early first round exit. Uh, I just, I don't see this team as a dark horse. I see this team as a, you know, a team that had way too many injured pieces, lost guys and replaced them with guys that weren't healthy. Um, and everything, you know, didn't come together in time. And I'm not sure even if guys were healthy, if it would have. Yeah. And I, I don't want to be, uh, too much of a I don't want to beat the dead horse too much here because I'm just going to be repeating a lot of your your points but you know I've said a few times that this team has a wide variance where if they're completely healthy if they have a hot goalkeeper and Petrovic is looking like one of the best goalkeepers in the league they 
don't lose a lot of games by multiple goals. Um, they they are in a lot of games. They are a team that could go to a Montreal and put up a fight if they're fully healthy and if they've got the right formation. But time is not on their side. And the summer window this year is very was very confusing to me because I, I think you know you mentioned a lot of injuries, Sean. You know, there have been a lot of things that have gone wrong for the revolution, and some of those things you can't really blame on Bruce, but a lot of things you can. And I look at the summer transfer window, which you mentioned, and besides Vrioni, who who ended up getting injured, I don't think we looked at any of those moves and thought that they were going to make an impact this season. And I don't know if Bruce just assumed they would figure it out and make the playoffs, or if he was really just focusing on 2023 overall, but they all seemed geared towards 2023. And, you know, Sebastian Legette, we've talked about it a few times. He probably would have had a role in this team and he probably would have been making a very positive impact. And he's had five assists in six games for FC Dallas since he's arrived there. And uh, it's just very frustrating to see another game where you need some offensive playmakers. You need some people to possess the ball. Um, you need some people with some quality vision. Um, and, you know, Carlos Hill obviously not being in this game really, really hurts. You can't replace Carlos Hill. Um, but a lot of these moves have really been the downfall of the revolution this season. And um, it, it's just very, very frustrating to see. And, um, you know, getting back to that variance thing, the variance is shifting less and less uh, hopeful and more and more to this is a team that's going to miss the playoffs and just mathematically it's not in their favor. And I, I, there's really nothing outside of the, you know, random, I shouldn't say random, but the, you know, the occasional game against Orlando or the occasional game against New York city FC, where this team puts it together and the bounces go their way. We're like, well, maybe we do have something, but th- that seems to be one out of every three or four games at this point. Um, it, it's pretty clear. This team isn't making the playoffs. Yeah. And, and you look at the New York city FC game, I think what the expected goals were were two to point three in, in New York's favor, um, so that was really a fluky game the way that played out. Uh, there's just you know there's not enough time left for the Revolution to figure this out at this point, and you know and part part of it they're hurt by the fact that the schedule is so compressed at the end of the year thanks to the World Cup being in the in the fall. But I mean they knew that going in. But you know when you look at what they have going forward, they have game Tuesday in Houston and they're home again Saturday, and then there's the international break. Um, and then there's just two games left this season. So unless they can figure everything out on Tuesday, if they can turn everything around in two days. Um, you know, th- again, the season's over. And I think this was a deflating loss for the Revs. They had three points in hand and they blew it. Um, and now they have to regroup and go to Houston, which, you know, yes, Houston hasn't been playing well, but they just fired their coach. And there's always a little bit of a bounce with that. Um, and any any road game is difficult. And the Revolution have one of the worst road records in MLS. In fact, they'd have the worst rec- road record. Uh, if they did make the playoffs, they'd have the worst road record of any team, which is why I think it's kind of comical to call them a dark horse um, for the playoffs if they were to sneak in. Because, again, they're going to be playing all on the road and they have a very, very poor road record, just three wins um, and 15 road games this season, which is you know, by, by far the worst of any Eastern Conference team that could potentially make the playoffs. By the way, Sean, I should mention that these key takeaways are brought to us by the Rebellion. I think I forgot to mention that, but I, I'm sure all of our listeners at this point know that our key takeaways are brought to us by the Rebellion. And I'm sure all of our listeners from last week also know that if you're going to next week's game uh, against Montreal with the Revs, Fighting for playoff hopes. Um, even if you are not excited to go to the game, you should be excited to go to the Rebellion tailgate next week. Uh, they'll be having a Canadian food tailgate with poutine and maple syrup dessert available for all. You don't need to be a member of the Rebellion to go hang out with them pregame. So make sure you go. All food will be from local businesses that the Rebellion will be supporting. Uh, we already have better maple syrup than Montreal. Uh, and next week, the Rebellion will prove that we also have better poutine. So go check out the Rebellion's uh, tailgate uh, in the supporter lot. So didn't expect the mid key takeaway uh, ad read, did you, Sean? <laughs> no, it, it gave me time though, to look up the Revolution's playoff chances, and 538 has them down to 26%, which to me seems high. Very high. Very, very high. And just looking at the uh, playoff picture, getting back into our total misery, uh, we are recording this Saturday night. There are some games going on in hand right now. Cincinnati is up one uh, nothing on San Jose. So this live table has them. If this result holds, they'll be in sixth place with 30 games played and 42 points. Uh, Columbus has 29 games played. They're at 41 points. And the Revs have 30 games played with 38 points. So uh, they'd be four points behind Cincinnati. They'd be three points behind Columbus. And Columbus has a game in hand. Behind them, Inter-Miami right now in a nil-nil draw. Um, if they win, they'll surpass the Revs tonight too. 
Um, if, if they end up drawing, they're at 29 points, 29 games, 37 points. So they'll still have a game in hand on the Rebs. Uh, and then Charlotte is three points behind the Rebs as well. Uh, Toronto, 31 games. They're three points behind the Rebs as well. Um, there are more people behind the Rebs that are in striking distance than the Rebs you know, can catch up to. So 26% seems very high to me. I imagine by the end of the night, that's going to go down when the results settle. Um, the Rebs really need San Jose to beat Cincinnati and they'd need to come from behind on that one. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not hopeful at all that this team is, is making the playoffs and, uh, boy, what a absolute disaster of a season this has been. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. I, I think, People's expectations might have been too high, given the guys the Revolution lost the season. Um, you know, there were, you know, we talked about it in the, in the beginning of the year. They were, they were never going to be repeating their record points total, given you know losing Matt Turner, losing um, Adam Buxa, losing Tejan Buchanan. But I, I don't think anything anyone expected it to go as poorly as it's gone. No, no, e- even losing those guys, I think, in my mind, my expectations were to at least get a home playoff game. Uh, and to miss the playoffs altogether is, um, I, I'm at a real loss for words. But again, everything has kind of gone the opposite way. So um, I'll, I'll get to my key takeaway, though, Sean, and I'll make it a little bit positive. And I wish we had a uh, better note to celebrate this on. But Andrew Farrell made his 300th appearance tonight. Uh, obviously, the first player in team history to do that. He is the all-time uh team leader in career games uh, started and uh, appearances. Uh, I, I think it's just worth noting. We'd be remiss to not mention Andrew Farrell uh, reaching this achievement. Uh, it's a shame we cannot get a win on the night he is celebrating this. It's also a shame that his shot in the uh, 91st minute there, which was a really a beautiful setup there uh, off of a set piece from Botang and, and Brioni, I believe it was, who headed it back to Farrell. Uh, there, there was a moment in time where he was lining up a shot and he, I, I thought he was going to uh, tie this game. So I, I was very excited uh, for a brief moment in time, uh, but uh, unfortunately it was not meant to be. But I uh, just wanted to give kudos to Andrew Farrell, who I know is not the best player on the pitch. I don't know if he's ever been one of the best players on the Revolution, but uh, Sean, we've done interviews with a number of young players on the Revolution, uh, Brandon By, Dewan Jones, Justin Rennicks, uh, and they all have talked about glowingly about Andrew Farrell and uh, their influence on them. Uh, and in the past few years too, they've, you know, there hasn't been a lot of turnover in the back line uh, with Henry Kessler, with Dewan Jones, with Brandon by all those guys are very, very young. Uh, and Andrew Farrell has been a very, very important piece to, um, you know, u- use his veteran knowledge to kind of organize that back line. So um, yeah, just wanted to give Andrew Farrell a quick shout out. And uh, Sean, I don't know if you have any thoughts on Andrew Farrell uh, reaching this milestone or just his career at the revolution in general. No, I mean, it's a it's a huge milestone for him to reach. It is unfortunate it happened in a loss. And it is unfortunate that he could have had that you know, tying goal, potentially, um, that would have been quite the way to cap it. And to be honest, I think he was one of the few Revs defenders that I don't have too many negative notes about in their performance for this game. Um, so so kudos to him. Um, like you said, I don't think he's ever been you know one of the best players in the league, but he's always been a very consistent and solid player for the Revolution. You know, started his career at the Revs kind of being forced into playing right back. Um, and then transitioned eventually to center back and, you know, has been, again, consistently, consistently solid at, at both of those positions. Um, and obviously a veteran leader on this team at this point that's been here for a very, very long time um, and you know, still just 30 years old. He's a fantastic job by the Revolution when they drafted him. I think they moved up to get him with the first overall pick and he's just proven to be a very consistent good player for the revolution and you know a good role model for the rest of the team and uh as you said we've heard a lot of different guys that have mentioned how good he's been at, at mentoring them so um again very important part of this team over the past uh, how long has he been with the revs now almost 10 years well, he was the number one draft pick in what 2013 so this would be season one two three four five six seven eight nine ten is that his tenth season think so yeah yeah it's crazy to think he's he's had 10 years with the team and even when he is no longer a starter on this team i imagine they will use him as a uh third center back slash backup right back or uh you know and and maybe transition him into coaching if he wants to go that route um he he just seems to be such a a major part of the team i could certainly see 10 years from now him having some sort of role similar to shalry joseph uh, where where he's just involved with coaching in, in some sort of way. He, he and, and this day and age too, 300 appearances in a league like MLS, where a lot of players are, um, you know, moving in and out of the league uh, or being traded across the league. Uh, 300 appearances over 10 years for one club is is very very impressive. 
But it's not just, you know, it's not just the the fact that he's stayed with one club for so long. It's the fact that he stayed healthy for, you know, all those years. You know, we talk about availability of Revolution players this season in particular when you look at how many guys have been out and missed huge chunks of games. You know, Farrell's never really had, uh, you know, knock on wood, never really had a long-term injury. Um, you know, he's played 30-plus games just about every season he's been with the Revs outside of the, the pandemic season that was shortened. So, you know, he's availability, as as we know, this season is a huge thing. And Andrew Farrell has consistently been available for the Revolution, which is a underrated attribute. And personally, I think you, you mentioned, Sean, uh, he, he didn't have a bad game tonight. Uh, 71% pass accuracy. A lot of those, I think, are on long balls. He was 5 for 15 on long balls. 53 touches. He also had 13 recoveries. Um, no, no... Nothing glowingly in the positive column, but nothing uh, glowingly in the negative column in my notes for Andrew Farrell tonight. So I, I, I think that's a positive game for a defender overall. Yeah, definitely. And I think some of his, his fellow defenders had, had definitely had worse nights. Well, let's get into that. Let's start complaining about some of his uh, fellow defenders. Uh, any, anyone you want to mention out in terms of the bad column tonight, uh, Sean? I mean, I think Kessler stands out. He almost had that own goal. And then um, I believe it was the first goal where he you know, just let the guy get got bodied off the ball um, by Manuel. And that, you know, that led up to the buildups. I think Matt Polster deserves some some blame on that one as well for not tracking the runner. But um, I thought Kessler has had a few rough nights recently, and I think this was one of them. Yeah, I, I I don't really blame him too much for the first goal. I think John Bell needed to pinch in, and he was slow to react there. Um, now, I, I think some of that is a five-man back line is, you know, it's something they've been doing on and off a little bit. And I, I don't think that they've played with these three center backs yet this season. Um, a little surprised that we've talked about Omar Gonzalez playing in a five-man back line. I was happy not to see Omar Gonzalez out there. I was surprised to see McCoon not out there uh, since he was one of the midseason acquisitions for the Revs. Um, and we've talked a little bit before about how it seems like McCoon might be coming in to replace John Bell. But John Bell played pretty well as a left back uh, last week, playing kind of as a left center back this week. Uh, I, I thought he was a little slow to react on that goal. So it'll be interesting to see if they go with a five-man back line. Is McCoon in there instead of John Bell next week uh, or, or in the future? Um, that'll be very interesting to see. But getting back to Kessler, too, that that header that was uh, just off of the post was very concerning. I wonder, though... We've talked a little bit before about communication issues between Petrovic and Kessler and the Red Bulls broadcast, which I was watching on ESPN Plus because I'm at a market. Uh, the the Red Bulls broadcast made a, a point to mention that uh, if you don't hear the goalkeeper say anything or call it, uh, you expect him to be back in his goal. And so I, I wonder if there was some sort of miscommunication where Kessler assumed his goalkeeper was back there and was trying to head it back to him. I, I wonder if that lies a little bit more on Petrovic than it does Kessler. Even so, I think you <laughs> where you place that header is as far from ideal. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> no, no harm, no foul, I guess. But I do think it is worth noting. It seems like Kessler has not been his self lately. It seems like there's been a couple of games where he's had some rough moments or a little, a couple of shaky moments. There was also a play about ten minutes later where he just booted the ball over the net. Um, I don't think he knew exactly what to do with it, and he. he basically punted it out for a corner. Uh, I thought he could have played it back to Petrovic or, or, or played it out wide. Um, and I, I guess just being safe with it, uh, just decided to kick it out for a, a corner kick. But I thought that was a, a bit of a strange decision too. So uh, I, I wonder if the communication is, is still a work in progress with Petrovic, who, who didn't speak English when he came over to the Revs uh, and, and the defenders there. So um, just something to kind of note on too. Uh, Sean, was there anyone else that you have in your notes that uh, you thought was poor tonight uh, that you want to mention on the podcast? I, mean, I think just about everybody was, was pretty poor in this one. Um, you know, we talked about Tommy McNamara and his his shirt grab um, that led to the penalty. It kind of undid what you know would have been seen as a good night from him because he scored the goal. But even, even taking that away, he had 16 total touches in 79 minutes. He completed five passes in 79 minutes. That's just kind of in, insane to me. Um, and we give Tommy McNamara a lot of credit on the podcast because he's done a lot of good things for the Revolutions, especially over the past month or so. Um, but I think despite his goal, which was a nice goal, it was not, not a good night uh, for Tommy McNamara. Um, and you know, I, I, I don't know. It's just disappointing from a lot of guys. I think the fullbacks in this one, Dewan Jones and Brandon by with the five man back line had more freedom to get forward. Um, but the two of them combined for zero accurate crosses. 
Um, you know, we talked about this being a cross happy team in the past. It certainly wasn't this past game. Um, not many crosses at all. And, you know, it was a tough game for passing based on how the revolution were playing. But, you know, Brandon by was 60 percent passing accuracy. Dewan Jones, 66.7 percent passing accuracy. Um, it, those guys are such a key part for the revolution, especially with Carly's heel out and playing this five man back line. I don't think they did nearly enough uh, to contribute to the offense. Yep, agree 100%. I don't have a, a ton more to add on to that. Uh, Sean, were you, I know, obviously, Bruce doesn't have a ton of options here. Not a lot of cards to play in this game. Did you have any issue with the formation or the lineup? It seems like the Revs were coming out to play with a point, play for a point. Um, and again, I mentioned this at the beginning of the podcast. Very slow first half. Not a lot of chances in the first half. The best chance was that Kessler header back to the keeper uh, on the miscommunication. Um, it, it seemed like Bruce was probably more realistic playing for a point. Uh, but obviously, I think desperate times call for desperate measures. And I think the Revs doing the math really could have used three tonight. So um, what, were, what was your reaction to the formation? Uh, and would you have done anything differently in the formation of the lineup? No, I mean, to be honest, I was fine with the formation and the lineup. I think with Carlay's heel out, I think you just got to be realistic. It's it's a very weak revolution team without Carlay's heel, um, you know, without 100% Gustavo Bo, who didn't, didn't look particularly sharp in this one, despite having a very nice assist. Um, I think that the lineup gave them the best chance of coming out of here with, with a result. Um, and like I said, the lineup gives your fullbacks more flexibility to get forward and, and create. And, you know, when you don't have Carlay's heel out there, Dewan Jones and Brandon Bay have been some of the, the leaders on the team and key passes and assists. Uh, so I think I was disappointed that they weren't more involved in the attack and didn't get more going forward. But, you know, again, given who was available and given, you know, Carly's heel was out, um, g- given Rioni is you know, clearly not anywhere near a match fit to to go more than, you know, maybe the 10 minutes he went tonight. Um, and, you know, <laughs> I just just kind of given the situation the Rebs were in, I didn't have a problem with this lineup. I think we're going to get to the substitutions later, which is another story. Um, but starting out the game the way the revolution started off i think made sense and i think you know they got to halftime and red bulls really weren't a threat other than like you said the henry kessler um almost own goal that also should have been finished off by i think it was manuel that had kind of a chance to put it into the empty net and just whiffed on the bouncing ball so um you know it, it worked well in the first half for the revolution and then it worked well in the second half when the revolution took a lead despite playing a defensive formation um it's just the wheels kind of fell off after that but the, the lineup again, given who was available and who was fit, made sense to me. Yeah, no, agree with 100%. Looking at the guys that on the bench that I think we kind of highlight, McCoon, I'm not, I'm fine with him on the bench. Um, I have not been impressed with him so far. Maybe he's going to improve next season, but I, I think right now in a playoff hunt, uh, I'm fine with him riding the bench. Uh, Damian Rivera, we've seen less and less of. We saw him a few games ago um, with that near goal uh, against Chicago, but um, not to be found tonight and Again, I'm kind of fine with that. And then there was Captoom, who I, I thought maybe you could make an argument you play over Maciel, but I think Maciel is more of the uh, a defensive player, and I think Captoom, um, I guess I'll call him more of an offensive player. Uh, but uh, I, I could certainly see why. You, he's, you op- he's probably not 90 minutes fit either, right? Because he's been missing the past several games. Probably not as well. Um, and he's also just not that good. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm the lineup. I think was. Bruce might get heat for for running out those guys, but there really wasn't a lot he could have done with uh, with Carlos heel out, and uh, I think uh, yeah, it, it is what it was. But um, Sean, let's get to some listener questions before we do. I want to talk to, take a minute and talk about our sponsor, Glasso Kits. Glasso Kits' mission is to bring unique vintage jerseys to your home with a catalog of jerseys, jackets, scarves, and more from clubs and national teams from over 80 countries in the world. They have United States men's national team merch. They have Revs merch. They have merch from of your favorite European club that you support from afar. Uh, Adam Buxa made his uh, uh, lens debut uh, earlier this weekend. If you want to go get some lens stuff to support the former uh, Revolution legend, and uh, I, I think he still might be the leading scorer on the Revolution season. Uh, go to Colosso Kits and go check out what they have for RC Lens merch uh, right now. Also, I believe Matt Turner made his Arsenal debut. They definitely have Arsenal merch too. So if you want to hop on that bandwagon because you're tired of watching the Revolution and want to watch some European teams, uh, go check out Colosso Kits. Whatever you want, they have something you need for your closet. And if you're not sure of what you want, you can check out their mystery kit packages where you enter in the size and the style of jersey you like. And Colosso will surprise you with the kit of your dreams. 
So go check out ColossoKits.com for their full selection and make sure you follow them at ColossoKits on Twitter and on Instagram for updates to their new inventory. They have unboxing videos every single week. And when you find something you like, please use, pro- please use promo code REVSRECAP for 15% off your order. That is promo code REVSRECAP at ColossoKits.com for 15% off your order. Links and code are in the show notes. Sean, let's get to these questions. Uh, let's get to these very, very depressing questions that I'm not looking forward to answering. <laughs> um Steve, actually, this kind of touches on the um, lineup. Steve uh, questions a number of things here. Uh, use of the subs, why didn't Esmir travel, lack of urgency, and old school mentality of subbing too late to make a different difference. Why does this persist? Uh, so this is a, he's talking about a trend here with Bruce, uh, but we were talking a little bit pre-show that this might have made sense for this one specific game in this one specific instance. So um, talk about uh, the use of the subs, subbing on too late, uh, and the lack of urgency and, and Esmir not being into this game. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that Bruce Arena intended to put on some of those guys earlier than he did, depending on the situation of the match. Um, I think when the Revolution took the lead, you know, they were in a situation where, hey, you know, we're playing a very defensive formation where things are going well. Um, we don't have a lot of options on the bench that would make sense to bring in at this point without kind of upsetting what's working. Um, and then I think the question becomes once they uh, given, give up the equalizer in the 58th minute, should they have done more? Um, you know, my thought is Bruce probably was still okay with a point. And I don't think a point would have been a complete kind of death blow to the revolution's playoff hopes, even though they really needed three. Um, so I, I sort of get why you'd still kind of consolidate and say, Hey, you know what? A point's still okay. We're playing well. Um, do we really want to go guns blazing and lose this? Um, but you know, as soon as they give up that, that two to one goal on the penalty kick um, and fell behind. I think they should have had those guys warming up and ready to come on basically instantaneously. Um, and I guess it, you know, it was just another two minutes before Captain and Rioni came on. Um, I don't know why they waited till the 83rd minute to bring Nacho heel on as well. I think they should have brought him on at the same time. Maybe need more instructions, but I don't know. I, I, I get why you'd want to see the revolution kind of go more attacking after the equalizer was scored. But I also, in this case, I'm not, too upset by it because I can understand the logic of, you know, we're in a difficult situation here. Um, a tie isn't the, the worst result and they were doing pretty well at limiting New York's chances at that point with the formation that they had out there and the players they had out there. Now I, I will say, I, I disagree a little bit. I agree with your logic here and everything. I disagree a little bit because I think the revs need three points. I think if this game is in April, I'm defending Bruce for playing for a point, not, and not changing anything until you fall behind your, you know, it's Bruce was playing for a point tonight. And I think if you're playing for a point, everything he did makes sense. I think the problem is you, you can't be playing for a point at this stage. You're in desperation mode. Um, you're an underdog for the playoffs. You need three points, even if it's on the road. So I would have liked to have seen Nacho Hill in earlier. I would have liked to have seen Vrionian earlier, although he said in the press, uh, the press conference afterward that it might've been a mistake to play him because he's still working his way back and he's a long way away from fitness which is really concerning considering we have not seen a lot of transparency on these injuries. And I've complained about that a ton before. Um, it's, it's not really what I want to hear that it might be a mistake playing Vrioni 10 minutes um, in, a, in a must win game. So um, I'm not expecting him to start on Tuesday either. That's something to watch. It seems like Vrioni is only a break in case of emergency type of substitution. Um, but overall uh, I, I would have liked to have seen subs maybe coming a little bit because I, I just think he needed those three points. I, I will give him credit, though, that he brought in Boateng earlier than he often does. Although, I mean, that's a sub that maybe you made in the 60th minute because you're not disrupting things too much by bringing him on for, for Buck. Um, but, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I can kind of see the logic both ways on this one. Buck, I, I also don't think it was too effective tonight. So I, I think bringing him off, he, he, he's still a young player. I don't think you want to ride him too, too much with, with more games coming up. You just came off a three-game week. You're, you're starting a three-game three, three week here. Um, I, I think it was good getting Buck off. Um uh, did we talk about Esmir? Did you mention Esmir? No, I didn't touch on Esmir, but I, I, I mean, I, I don't know why he wasn't on the bench. Um, I just, I don't think he's been that impressive in his appearances so far for the revolution. And I don't see him as a guy, you know, looking at how this game played out that, um, I don't, I don't think he would have been a guy that would have come on and, and made the impact in this, in this one. I, I, I'm not, if he was on the bench, I would have been surprised if he came in. So I'm not, I don't know why he didn't travel, but um, you know, and maybe, maybe this Carles thing came up last minute and you would have traveled if they knew Carles wasn't going to be there. But, uh, that one doesn't bother me too much because I don't, I don't think that he would have you know played in this game, even if he had been on the bench. Yeah. He's, he's still a little raw. So I agree with everything he said. I, I believe he was with revs two tonight. Uh, they had a game against New York city FC two. So it's very possible. They said, you know, Esme, we're probably not getting into this game. 
um, go go play ninety for for reps two. You haven't played for reps two in a while, and um, you know then then the situation situation with Carlos happened. I'm sure it was determined, um, you know, before today uh, what they were going to do with Esmir. So I, I I think this might have just been a situation that popped up, and it was too late to kind of make a change. And um, even if they could have made the change, I, I agree with you. I don't think Esmir is an impact player, and I think Damian Rivera would have been a better choice off the bench instead of Esmir. So. Um, what did you think of Bo's performance tonight? Thoughts on Bo this game? It felt like he always had three defenders on him. Uh, and then also, he, uh, this is from Derek. Uh, he also says, should more offensive su- uh, subs come in earlier to help? We kind of covered that. But uh, Sean, give me your thoughts on uh, Bo this game. Uh, and Derek also wants to add that Bo had an amazing assist. I actually thought Bo, you know, wasn't overly, I didn't think, I didn't think he was really covered out of the game. Um, I, I didn't, I mean, I guess there were times where he had two or three guys on him, but I thought he had a lot of space at times too. Um, the revolution had chances on the counter attack. I think that, you know, we mentioned the, the, um, Henry Kessler back header. That was a mistake. I think it was, was it Aaron long, um, or whoever it was that had a bad, I think I can't remember who it was, but if somebody had a bad, uh, back header on the red bull shortly after that, and Gustavo Bo had a chance to, you know, kind of go one-on-one with the keeper and, and didn't. Um, didn't play that well. He got a little bit of pressure under him and, and just shanked it. Um, I thought Gustavo Bo really, you know, again, it was a very good assist he had, but overall I thought he looked, didn't look sharp at all. Um, and I think it's concerning how long it's taking him to kind of get his sharpness back. Um, you know, we, I think we've seen it in the past too, when he comes back from injuries, it takes him a while to really get going. We, I think you, you and Chris mentioned on the last podcast that he's a, a very streaky player. Um, and I think that's true. And I think, you know, when seasons start, he often starts slow and builds up to find his form. And when he gets injured, it takes him a while to find his form and the revolution don't have the luxury of, of giving him kind of that runway to find it. He needs to find it now, um, throws to have any hope of sneaking into the playoffs at this point. But I, I didn't think he looked particularly good outside of, you know, again, what was a very good assist. I thought he looked kind of rusty and lacking match sharpness. Um, and the revolution kind of need a lot more out of him if they're going to make a, a shocking run to make the playoffs at this point. And I, I'll also say, too, I don't think he's a very good nine by himself in general. I, I think in a single striker formation with just Bo as the nine, I, I don't love that too much. I think he plays a lot better as a second striker with someone to play off of. So already, I, I think he's not in his best position and he needs to regain his form. And he really had no offensive help today. So really, I, I think today was just kick it up to Bo and, and hope for the best. And it led to a goal. Um, I, I do think Gustavo Bo did a few positive things here, but you mentioned the scuff shot. That was his only shot today. Um, he had one shot, which you never really want to see with Gustavo Bo. Um, he, he did create two chances. He had 35 touches in 90 minutes. Um, he, he did have that uh, assist that we mentioned. He also had a very, very nice pass to Noel Buck. Um, I believe it was in the first half. Uh, he kind of slid him down the right side uh, and, and Buck was went into space, but Buck had no one <laughs> really to hold the ball up for. So he ended up just losing the ball a, a second later. He tried making a move on an offender and was tackled away from him. So, um, there were some glimpses from Gustavo Bo, but you're right. I think overall, you know, as a number nine playing directly, he's not the fastest. He can't really create a ton on his own right now because he doesn't have a lot of help up top. And yeah, I, 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 I don't think he is good enough in this moment in time to carry this team with, without a, a reliable uh, striker to play off of and without Carlos Hill in the lineup. I, I just think it's a not the best situation for him and uh yeah you gotta mention too he led the entire match in unsuccessful touches with six which is which is a lot two times dispossessed which also tied for the most in the match and 52.6 percent passing accuracy which is uh not so hot (laughs) no no not at all uh ryan says panic button engaged four games left we are slamming the panic button um if you're if you're just hitting the panic button now uh oh boy uh and then James Downing says, "Is it panic button time again?" Uh, sure is. It's always been panic button time. I made it. I made a point to to mention the panic button after the New York City win. Um, the the panic button is being held down, uh, and, and it might break in a minute. Uh, but James also says, "All told, uh, between pay, paying Sebastian Legette to uh, play for Dallas, uh, signing long term question mark and injured Tajori Shirati, and easing Vrioni back in, it really does seem like Bruce is focused on 2023." I mentioned this earlier. Uh, James sent in his question between uh, earlier and now. Uh, he is reading my mind. Uh, also, any thoughts on the de- debuts of Turner, Buxa, and Nacho? Um, I, I don't have a ton of thoughts on Turner and Buxa. To be honest with you, I didn't watch either. I, I read about it. 
Nacho, I thought was pretty good. Um, exceeded my expectations, which were, were very, very low. I know we're only getting seven minutes, so it's a small sample size. Um, but but uh, I, I think there's something there with Nacho, and we can use all the help we can get. So, um, Sean, any thoughts on the debuts of Turner, Buxa, and Nacho? Well, yeah, and first I'll just comment quickly on the first point. I, it does seem like Bruce is focused on 2023, but I think that's really – I mean, it's too late to do anything about it now, but I think that's really unfortunate given that you, you had one of those rare years where Carly's heel was healthy the whole year, um, which is never a given, and you might not have that next year. And you know, Bruce Arena 70, Gustavo Bo is 32. Um, you know, how much longer are all these guys going to be here? I don't think the luxury of kind of punting on a season and going to 2023 is a uh, is really there, but that does seem to be what happened. Um, I, don't, I don't really have any thoughts on the debuts of Buxa and Turner. I didn't see Buxa's debut. I saw a little bit of Turner's debut. Um, I think Turner's in a, in a tough spot where... Uh, he, he didn't have the he had made a couple of mistakes in preseason and everybody at Arsenal fan is kind of down his throat. I thought he played pretty well from what I saw. Um, I didn't have too much to do, but made the saves he needed to. Um, unfortunately, conceded a penalty kick. Um, not, not his fault. Uh, didn't didn't save it. We're so used to him saving him that that could have been kind of his heroic moment. Didn't save it, but you know got the win in his debut. So no, not much complaints there. Uh, on Nacho, I thought he was kind of a lone bright spot in this game for the Revolution. Um, you know, it didn't play that much, but I, I think all of our expectations for Nacho on this podcast were not particularly high. But he come, came off the bench and you know started to make things happen. He managed to have 12 touches in a short period, 100% passing accuracy. Um, you know, dribbled at some guys. I, I thought he looked good. Um, and, you know, again, very small sample size, but the, the early returns were better than expected. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. He seemed quick too, but again, he, he's running at tired legs. So maybe, uh, maybe it's running downhill for him. So, uh, Thor Von Prandon says directly pressuring is the, uh, the revs is an effective strategy. We turn the ball over within two passes around 90% of the time. Terrible. I, I will say, I, I don't have much of a disagreement. There were some plays in the back. I think at one point Polster lost the ball. Um, they had a really tough time getting the ball out of the back. And, you know, I think that's also a reason why Brandon by and Dewan Jones weren't able to push up. Uh, the Red Bulls were just very, very good at pushing the, the, the revs back in their own zone. The, the revs had 96 passes in the opposition half today. Uh, they, they really did not have a lot going forward. Uh, so um, yeah, the revs really struggled to uh, move the ball out of the back and through the middle. And uh, I, I thought the pressure that the Red Bulls put on was great. So uh, not a lot of complaints. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, and it wasn't just the defense either. There was, there was that terrible pass from Gustavo Bow in the first half where he did a back pass that was led to a turnover without that much pressure on him. Um, yeah, it is, it, is, it is an effective strategy, and I think it's even more of an effective strategy with something that you mentioned earlier, that the Revs haven't played a five-man back line that often, and this was you know, personnel that didn't play together that often. So it, there's opportunities to kind of catch them not knowing where they need to be and being out of position and um, again, that's the unfortunate thing when you're down to four games left in your season and you, and you still don't really have a preferred formation and you're playing a formation that you've played you know, once or twice all year and haven't really figured things out. So, um, yeah, I mean, when, when the revs are switching things up and don't have the preferred back line, especially, um, and don't have, a, you know, whatever their, whatever their formation is going to be, uh, it's definitely an effective strategy. Uh, the anime stoner sends in, uh, what was that second half? The back line seemed sloppy. The second half, Montreal, Atlanta, Chicago, Two home, one away. Do they all seem winnable? Uh, if not, then the season is basically over, right? Uh, and, and he's also not including the um, Houston away game. Um, they all have to be winnable at this stage. Uh, I think we also got a question uh, about how many points they need uh, left. I mean, the Revs right now are at 38 points. I think you need 48 really to get there. So you need 10 points over these last four games. You basically need to go unbeaten. And I'd say you need to win at least three of those games. Um yeah. Any any thoughts on that? I think every single game needs to be a win here on out. Yeah, I mean, I think best case scenario um, is if they you know they sneak in with three wins. Um, I, but I think really you need to win all four. But yeah, anything less than three wins, I think they're they're done. And even three wins, I don't think it's going to be enough to do it. Um, and it, it is a difficult schedule. He's talked about Houston. You know, they're they're not a very good team. But Houston on short rest on the road um, again, having you know, just fired their coach. I don't think that's going to be an easy match for the revolution. I think that's going to be very, very difficult. 
Um, I, I don't think that's an easy win. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they lost that game. And then Montreal is a you know better team than the Revolution. Um, they're playing them at home, so maybe they can get three points there. Again, Atlanta having a rough season, Chicago having a rough season. You know, those are those are winnable games. It, it, theoretically, the Revolution, if they're at their best, could. You know, I don't think any of those games are unwinnable, but I also think the next two games in particular are very difficult. Um, and those are the games they have the least time to prepare for, the least time to get guys fit and healthy. Um, and you know, you could get into October and and finally have a, a pretty healthy team and and being able to figure things out. But if you don't win these next two games, it's too late. Yeah, I think the issues aren't necessarily who's on the schedule. It's who's available for the Revs. Uh, and it should be noted right now, Chicago took a one nothing lead on Inter-Miami, so doing us a solid, but uh, they're, they're giving a team that's right next to the Revs in the standings uh, a hard time. So um, none of these games are, are walkovers at this stage, and uh, the Revs have to you know, find their perfect form really, really quickly. Yeah. And Chicago on the road, you know, even if they're eliminated from the playoffs, that's a, their last game of the season teams in their last game of the season want to do something. They want to play well. The guys are playing for spots. So I don't, even if they're eliminated, I don't think that's a, a walkover game um, on the road by any stretch. If they were playing Chicago at home, I think it'd be a different story, but on the road again, last game of the season, uh, teams want to give their fans something to cheer about, even if the, the year has gone poorly and the season's over. Um, and you mentioned, you mentioned, uh, Chicago doing the refs of sod and beating Miami. Cincinnati is now three, nothing on San Jose. So I think we can chalk that one up officially as a win for Cincinnati, which is not good news for the refs. Uh, cursed revs, please clip this when Cincinnati blows their three, nothing lead. Uh, Porter was the one who asked how many points the Revs need in the next four games. He also says, is missing the playoffs a fireable offense for Bruce? If not, what is a fireable offense? We banned Bruce out questions earlier this season, but I believe with the ridiculous uh, downslide and downfall of this team, I think it's appropriate to bring it back. Um, is missing the playoffs a fireable offense for Bruce? And if not, what is? Uh, Sean, what are your thoughts on the Bruce Arena hot seat? It's it's not. Um, he's he's going to be back next year unless he chooses to retire, which I don't think is the case. Um, I think you know maybe next year might be his last year by choice. Um, but they've committed so much to Bruce Arena, and Bruce Arena has locked up a lot of these guys and long term contracts. Um, that next year's team is his team, and if they let him go and brought somebody else in, they'd be inheriting kind of Bruce's team without much opportunity to change it. Um, I, I I think they're fully committed to him for next season, and you know. If he missed the playoffs two years in a row, that would be a fireball offense. And that would also be something that might just consider might cause him to um, kind of reconsider his future and retire anyways. But there, there's no way I don't think there's anything kind of within the the realm of, of realism that could he could do in these last four games that would cause him to get fired. I also think, too, that from a fan standpoint, the season has gone miserably. Everything has gone wrong for the Revs. Every competition they've been in was disappointing. Um, missing the playoffs was out of my range of possibilities at the beginning of the season. Um, I, I do think that this season, if we're grading Bruce Arena, is an F. I, I don't know who would give Bruce Arena as coach or GM anything but an F this season. His acquisitions were bad. They didn't help. The Josie Altador contract is one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen, and I really question if they really thought he would replace Adam Buxa, and if they didn't think that, why you would give a backup that ridiculous contract. So you got that to deal with in the offseason when he comes back from loan. Um, his summer transfer signings were forward-looking, and I think if you're Bruce Arena, you can say, well, a lot of the moves we made, we're, we're preparing for next season already, so I, I think he could make the argument that it'd be a weird time to fire him now. Um, but the other thing, too, from an owner's standpoint to why Bruce Arena is not getting fired is because he handed the owner... $24 million in transfer fees um, the past 12 months. So from a, a fan standpoint, we don't see that money. And, you know, they didn't reinvest all that $24 because a lot of that probably covered costs that Robert Kraft would be paying for. Uh, so if you're the owner, you missed the playoffs, but you made $24 million in transfer fees, which I'm, I guarantee you has put the revolution uh, pretty healthily, healthy in the green. Uh, so, um, you know, if, if you're looking at a competition standpoint, if you got your football manager, you know, grades up, you know, competitions F, you know, acquisitions F, but finances are an A. Uh, and, and I think that's what a lot of people, you know, don't really realize is that, you know, if you're Robert Kraft, why are you firing this guy that made you $25 million in, in players, player revenue? So um, I, I don't think he's, on the hot seat right now, but Sean, I, I think you're hundred percent right. If he misses the playoff next year, 
I don't think you can bring him back for 2024 because Bo is out of contract too. Um, I believe Carlos Hill is out of contract next season, but I have to double check that. Um, you, you, I think giving a coach um, not a lot of roster flexibility with a new designated player spot or a U22 spot um, would really handcuff whoever is taking over. I think right now, if you were to fire Bruce Arena, it would be Richie Williams. And I don't think you're really going to see a lot of change in, in terms of personnel decisions or philosophy or anything like that. It's still going to be Kurt Anolfo in the, the director role, um, you know, whatever GM-ish role he's playing. Um, you know, you'd still have probably that same coaching staff. It'd just be Bruce is retired, essentially. Um, but I, I think if you miss the playoffs, you really have to question what's happening there because Bruce Arena deserves a lot of credit for the first three seasons he had and, and the first buildup. But you have to, you know, now now Bruce has to build this team back. And the last two or three transfer windows, really three or four, he's failed. And, and it, it's perfectly reasonable for fans to wonder if Bruce Arena can rebuild this team. And if we miss the playoffs next year, I think you can come to the conclusion he can't. Yeah, just to correct one thing, Carlos is signed through 2024, so um, it's only Gustavo Bo that will be his contract is up at the end of next season as far as the DPs. So unless unless the league adds a another DP spot, um, if they did make a coaching change after next year, there'd only be one one DP spot to to fill unless again if somebody leaves or something like that. But appreciate um, the, appreciate the fact check. I, I, a new coach won't mind having Carlos Hill for another. No, year, I, no. Then the only other thing I'd add to is um, you know the one signing that has been a success. Pet- Petrovic uh, is probably going to lend Bombcraft even more money because because he's going to I think as you've mentioned several times before command a very nice transfer fee in the future the way things are going so um, from the the wallet standpoint it's been not a bad year but I, I think with Bruce Arena with replacing and we've talked about this before you're not really if you you really want change it's regime change and you know Kurt Anolfo is a Bruce Arena guy and Richie Williams and Dave Vandenberg they're all Bruce Arena guys so when Bruce goes is it just Bruce Arena's guy coming in to replace Bruce Arena, or are you cleaning house? And if you're cleaning house, then a lot of questions are going to have. And, and if you're cleaning house, you're going to want, you know, you don't want to be locked into this roster, which is what would be happening now. So uh, I think Bruce gets a full season. I can't see, unless he loses the locker room um, or, or something really horrific happens, I can't see him leaving before the end of next year. Um, although I said that about Brad Friedel, I thought Brad Friedel was getting two seasons uh, and, and things got were a lot worse than, than we knew publicly. But um, yeah, I, I, I think. Bruce needs to miss the playoffs two straight seasons before we see a lot of turnover in that coaching staff and in the front office. Yeah, I think I think we're a year away from really having this conversation. <laughs> uh, Gordon says, what do you think uh, Buck's best position is? He seems like he's a bit in limbo. I think his best position is probably a central midfielder, but you know, right now that's not what the revolution need him. And I think at his age, there's probably less pressure on him um, as, as a wide midfielder. I believe most of his time with the Revs too and in the academy has been in the center. Um, but again, as a 17-year-old who's you know, still adjusting to the physicality of MLS, um, you know, it's probably a safer role for him to be in kind of this – I don't know the I don't know if I'd call him a winger, but whatever the more attacking role is that he's played uh, for the Revolution so far. Um, but long term, I would think that his his best position is probably as a central midfielder. It's just at at this age and um, given what the Revolution need, that it makes more sense to kind of play him at a role where maybe there's less physical pressure on him than there would be if he was in the center. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with you 100. percent I don't have a, a ton to add, and um, I. I he doesn't strike me as a winger or something like that. I think right now he's kind no. of playing an odd role based on the formation. I'm curious to see what his role is going into next season because there's going to be some turnover in that central midfield position. Um, you know, we don't know what Maciel's status is going to be. I don't like McCoon in the central midfield. Um, you have Tommy McNamara. You have Matt Polster. But uh, I wouldn't be shocked if they kind of play him kind of in that midfield role. Um, and maybe as an eight uh, and, and see how he does there. Um, Teal Forever says Jones looked not that good tonight. Is he really a player who can make it in Europe or will he continue to struggle when facing high quality defenders like he did tonight? Yeah, I mean, I think we talked about it earlier. I don't think he looked particularly good in this game either. Um, I do think he's a guy that could play in Europe. Again, I don't think he's going to be going to the Premier League. Uh, I think he would struggle at that at that sort of level. But I think there is a level in Europe where he could play and could, could play well. Um, again, he's been the best left back in MLS, you know, last season he was anyways. Um, so I think he's, I think he's capable of making the jump up to a higher level, but, um, you know, I, I, I think people that think he's going to, to jump into the national team between now and the world cup are a bit crazy. Um, and I think the people that think he should be playing in the premier league might be overselling it a bit, but, uh, he's absolutely a talented left back, um, a good athlete and a guy that I think could play in Europe at some level. Yeah. He's, he's taken a step back this year and I, I think any 
chances of him making the World Cup are, are gone. And I don't know how old he is, but he must be getting up 25, 26. It'd be hard to break into the World Cup next cycle as well. Um, I, I, I wonder if his chances of making the World Cup influence his decision to stay. Uh, I, I don't know what the Revs could get for a transfer fee for him, um, but I, I assume it would have to be very, very good because uh, the Revs aren't just going to sell players for the sake of selling players. So, um, yeah, I, I think he could play in Europe. He's fast. Uh, he, he he can cross. Um, I, I do think there are teams that could use wingbacks uh, that could play both on the right or left side um, and think Dewan Jones would be a good fit for them. Uh, but is someone going to overpay for Dewan Jones at this stage at his age? Probably not. So um, I know there's kind of been murmurs of him maybe going to Belgium or the Netherlands or whatever. Um, but I, I, I think really the he might be a player that sticks out with the Revs long term. And I bet the Revs will pay him what he's worth long term, to be honest with you. So I, I'm, I've never really sweat those. Dewan Jones rumors like I've sweat Matt Turner and Tejon Buchanan and in the future George uh, Petrovic. Yeah, I agree with all that, and I, I will say that you know not having Carlos Hill out there probably hurts him getting forward. Um, and you know again we, we talked about his ability to cross and his ability to kind of pick out a target striker like Adam Buxa when when Gustavo Bo is your lone number nine. I think the effectiveness of both of your fullbacks um, who are really relying on their pace to kind of get forward and, and send crosses into the box is, is limited. Uh, Teal Forever also says, feels like this team doesn't have the winning mentality this year. And with winning mentality in quotes, I tend to think such phrases like that are usually BS excuses, but I feel like they just don't have confidence. Uh, I, I feel like they don't have the confidence that they can hold the lead or play tough defense this year. Thoughts? I agree with 100% that he said, but uh, I'll get your thoughts, Sean, on the winning mentality. No, I honestly had the same thought before the podcast is that I, I kind of hate the talking about mentality, especially after Brad Friedel. Um, but I, I completely agree with the, the thought here is that they don't seem to have the winning mentality this year. Um, and this game was kind of the perfect example of it. It's just, you know, when when pressure is put on, they kind of collapse and they don't seem to be capable of holding on to leads. And, you know, some of that's probably not having Matt Turner behind them anymore and, you know, we talk about communication issues potentially with Petrovic as good as he's been. Um, you know, the communication might not be fully there yet. And then I think, you know, again, when they have their their preferred back four out there, um, there's some level of consistency and understanding. And we saw that, you know, four game shutout streak that they had. Um, but any any variation from that, whether it's adding another defender to the back line and, and John Bell or you know, one of those guys being out and it just seems like everything collapses. Yeah, I think confidence, there, there's no confidence in this team right now, and, and why would there be? But uh, Mike Kennedy kind of adding on to that. We, I, I don't want to, again, beat the dead horse too much, but uh, he says, looking ahead to next season in general, what needs to change for the Revs to protect leads, leads, personnel, mentality, or something else? What do you guys think is the biggest culprit? All of the above, in my opinion. I, th- I think you do need a new center back here. We've talked about it a million times. Um, I, I think you need someone to help out Polster in the central midfield. You've had a rotating cast in the midfield. Um, the center back pairing has fluctuated throughout the season. Um, I don't know if McCoon is the guy. Um, Omar Gonzalez definitely isn't the guy. Um, Petrovic, I, I think an off season will do him good of learning English and communicating. I, I think that is an issue that a lot of people just don't see. Um, you know, he, he did not know English when he came over. And so he's adjusting mid season on the fly. Um, and, and communication between a back line and a goalkeeper is very, very important. So, I think starting fresh, restarting next season and, and having a full off season to kind of work on things, work on communication, you know, get rid of uh, the lack of confidence. I think starting fresh next season in general is going to help. But if you're going into next season with the same exact roster, uh, you're still going to have holes in it and you're still going to struggle to protect leads. Yeah, I think you, you summed it up nicely. I think a third center back that's starting caliber because they don't have that on the roster right now um, is extremely important. And I do think an offseason or a preseason for Petrovic um, to kind of figure everything out with the defense will help a lot. John Pilkington says next season should hopefully be better. I hope so too, John. Uh, is this the most disappointing season you've experienced given the expectations going in? I, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast, but I've definitely said it privately. This is not the worst team in revolution history. This is by far the most disappointing. And Sean, your your knowledge of Reb's history is better than mine. But every single competition, they have 
disappointed in in every single stage. They crashed out of the CCL in the first leg. That was a real challenge to them in embarrassing fashion. The the playoffs, they've missing the playoffs seemed totally unacceptable at the start of the season. Uh, they sold their players uh, that we knew were leaving. Uh, they, they couldn't replace Buxa. They tried replacing with Josie, and that was an absolute failure. They brought in Vrioni, who's hurt. The, the, the jury is still out on him, but there's a lot of concern there. Gustavo Bo has been hurt all season, and he has taken a step back. Um, Barrero... Where is he? Um, I guess he's hurt. I guess he's coming back at some point. We we, we heard murmurs of, of Barrero and Vrioni coming back this week. Barrero is not uh, there this week. Um, Tajori Shirati is potentially might be out for the season from, from people I've heard. Um, everything, transfers, signings, results, competitions, everything's gone wrong. This is the most disappointing team in Revolution history. And I don't think it's remotely close. Uh, Sean, any disagreement with that? I can't disagree with that. I mean, they were one. They they set the the points record last year, and now they you know are on pace to finish with about half of the amount of points they had last season, and 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 missed the playoffs. So, um, absolutely the most disappointing season in Revolution history. I mean, there's been there's been plenty of disappointing seasons in Revolution history, but I think this this one takes the cake just because expectations were so high after what they did last year. I mean, we are talking about a thirty point drop uh, in points year over year, and. You still replace Turner. Like, they still had a few things bounce their way, but, um, man, just uh, everything has gone wrong. And, well, um, if, if Petrovic hadn't been performing at the level of the best keeper in MLS uh, since he's been here, I think this Revolution team would be probably in last place in the Eastern Conference right now. They'd be ahead of D.C. I think D.C. United. They're 26 points, but Toronto, <laughs> Toronto is at 34 and second to last, and, and they would be behind Toronto. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway. 10 penalties they conceded their 10th penalty this season uh today that is such an outrageous stat uh, we going back to mike kennedy's question actually let me let me get back to this the the i don't know if it's mentality or just like stupidity but the tommy mcnamara pulling lewis morgan down by his jersey at the top of the box when he's not that dangerous even before the jersey pull i'm not sure what tommy mcnamara was going for that's just such a weird play and you're a veteran and you've been on this team forever what were you thinking I, I, there are just so many of those plays, the Omar Gonzalez cross in the Philadelphia game, um, you know, whatever was happening at New York City FC, the Real Salt Lake game earlier this year in the snow where they find a way to blow a two goal lead in the last 20 minutes to Real Salt Lake. I, I, I am at a loss of words of all the, I just like brain dead moments where where you just don't expect this veteran team to be making them and they didn't make any of these mistakes last year so i I don't know i yeah rant over sorry i don't know where i was going with that i don't know what started this i'm just very tired of this season Uh, it's crazy too that petrovic has been a net for all 10 of the penalty kicks the revolution have conceded he's he's been here what 16 games um (laughs) poor guy (laughs) I, i i don't know if i said this on the podcast but i did tweet it out petrovic has more clean sheets than wins with the revolution he has more scoreless draws with this team then he has wins when they've scored a goal when they've conceded a goal uh, and that just kind of sh- you know really sums up that this team really has no firepower uh when last year they had Bo and Buxa in the golden boot race and, and they were scoring goals at will and, and the most penalties Matt Turner ever faced in his career in any season were four his entire his entire revolution career he faced 10 penalty kicks <laughs> <sighs> Sam Minton uh We'll end on a high note, I guess, and, and we'll go back to Andrew Farrell, which seems to be the only positive thing we've, we've talked about really today. But uh, who has the better push-down sock game, Andrew Farrell or John Tolkien? Um, I don't know what he's talking about. Um, I've I've been so uh, miserable tonight that I guess I did not notice Andrew Farrell's socks. But in honor of Andrew Farrell's 300th appearance, uh, I will I will give the nod to Andrew Farrell. Uh, when I think about socks, the guy that always comes to mind is Shari Joseph with like his cardboard shin guards that were like two inches. <laughs> That's the the one Revolution player who's got a memorable sock game for me, but it's more about the shin guard game. But yeah, I, did, I didn't pay enough attention to the Farrell and Tolkien socks. <laughs> Sean, I want to get you in on a very, very important topic that we talked about last week. I, you didn't get your chance to put in your two cents. Um, what are your favorite three Taylor Swift songs? I, I couldn't give you my my favorite three Taylor Swift songs. Can you I name? Say. Can you name three Taylor Swift songs? 
um, I could name Shake It Off and Blank Spaces, and I should be able to get another one, but at the moment I'm blanking. <laughs> Noel Buck is very disappointed in your lack. <laughs> Who doesn't love Taylor Swift? Sean Donahue. We found that out tonight. Uh, Sean, any uh, final thoughts here before you go? And where can people find you on social media? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Sean L. Donahue. You can follow us on Twitter at Revolution Recap and follow our Revolution Recap Instagram and Facebook pages. Be sure to follow The Bent Musket on Twitter at The Bent Musket and follow their work online at www.thebentmusket.com for your own coverage. Also, be sure to follow our friends at The Rebellion uh, at The Rebellion on Twitter and go to nerebellion.org to learn more about them. And make sure you go check out their Canadian food tailgate before the Montreal game next weekend, uh, September 17th, uh, before the game. Don't go for the revs. Go for the poutine. Go for the maple syrup dessert uh, that will be made by local businesses that they are supporting. Uh, go check out The Rebellion, the rebellion tailgate lot uh, for their t- Canadian food tailgate next weekend. Uh, and, of course, be sure to check out our sponsor, Galasso Kits, and use promo code REVSRECAP for 15% off your order. Uh, again, GalassoKits.com, promo code REVSRECAP for 15% off your order. And, of course, make sure you are subscribed to iTunes or wherever you're listening. Uh, and if you could, please rate and review us five stars. It helps people looking for Revolution content find us. We will be back next weekend following the, I just said it a minute ago, the Montreal game. Uh, after the Montreal game, after the Rebellion's Canadian food, poutine, maple syrup dessert, uh, tailgate, uh, we'll be back with a podcast recapping that game. Hopefully the Revs have six points. Hopefully we are talking about how we gave up on this team too early and how they actually have a playoff chance, uh, but I highly doubt it. But either way, we'll be back, and you can listen to us, which is great. Until then, thank you everyone for listening, and go Revs. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.